Good morning, Regeneration. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. It's called, Build Your House on the Rock. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. Let me pray and welcome up Pastor Harry. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would shed light today on our foundations. Reveal to us any cracks and help us, Lord, to put your words to practice. I just ask, God, that you would till the soil of our hearts, prepare it for the good seed that's about to be sown there. And I just ask, God, that you would use Pastor Harry to speak to us this morning and further your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please welcome Pastor Harry Williams. It's indeed been an honor to have been able to share with you these past few weeks. Pastor Albert Lee has been in in the Holy Land uh, with a team of interns. So if you're not a member here, you would know that. But I just enjoyed you guys are so loving and I love you and God loves you. And I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to one more time be before you. There's just a few people I want to acknowledge today. First off, someone said that there's a group from Californians Against Slavery that's going to be here after service. Is anybody here from that group? So I was just said that they're going to be meeting in the chapel. I really, really support that group and the KSAC because here in Oakland you have human trafficking is an epidemic level. And they're building legislature that will increase the fines and the penalties against traffickers. So I'm so glad they're going to be with us. I want to thank and praise God for Sister Anna Renee from the Streets Disciples Ministry of my home church, Allen Temple Baptist Church. Wave, Sister Anna Renee. Stand up and wave. Amen. She's very involved in our church's ministry against human trafficking here in Oakland. And finally, there's a group of young people here from a group from InterVarsity Bay Up. And they're missionaries who have come from all over California to serve here in the inner city of Oakland. Would you guys stand up? Thank God for them. Let's give them a hand as well. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Infographic Magazine recently published an article entitled, How Social Media is Ruining Our Minds. The story included the following statistic. Over the past 10 years, the average attention span has dropped from 12 minutes to 5 minutes. Younger people now have shorter attention spans than the elderly. The article said that 25% of young people can forget their names at times or or certain really relevant details. 7% can forget their birthdays. 
It says because of social media, the average office worker checks his inbox 30 to 40 times an hour. An average of once every 1.5 minutes. People spend 700 billion minutes on Facebook every year. Now that's bad news for preachers. Jonathan Edwards, who was a turn-of-the-century evangelist, used to come out to the city squares of cities back in the 19th century, and he would read a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That thing was as long as a novel, and it must have taken about two hours to get from one end of it to the other. But people stayed and they listened. That was in another time, a time before there was Facebook. A time before there was MTV. That was in a time before NBC. That was a time the human attention span was about two hours long. Jesus is quoted in the scripture that was just read to us as speaking to a very distinct group. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine. There was a memorable line stemming from an argument between the two principal characters in the film, White Men Can't Jump. As they get into a heated discussion about the late rock and roll guitarist Jimi Hendrix, one says to the other, look man, you can listen to Jimi, but you can't hear him. There's a difference, man. Just because you're listening to him doesn't mean that you're really hearing him. I know the difference. As a kid, I sat up in church many a Sunday morning trying to figure out which comic books I was going to swap after service. Or as I got older, what girl I was going to call once the service was over. All the time, I'd be staring right at the preacher and occasionally nodding or whispering an amen at him. Jesus is saying in this portion of scripture, you have to do more than listen. You have to hear me. To hear means to apprehend, to catch, to devour, to strain, to take in. And then he goes on to further say, Jesus challenges the listener to hear him and then put his words into practice. Now, we all know the difference between those two things. When you were young, your mother would say, now, before you go outside today, I'm going to work. But before you go outside, I want the dishes done. I want your bed made and I want the blinds done. And you nodded and said, yes, Ma, whatever you say, whatever you say. The minute she closed the door, you're in the closet talking about, where's my baseball glove? Where'd I put that bat? You heard her perfectly. The thing was, you weren't really hearing her. You weren't willing to put into practice what you've heard. James 1 and 22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves but do what it says. Jesus says here that the person who hears his word is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The fact that he calls this person wise was very powerful. You see, wisdom was greatly treasured in the ancient world. Not so much now, but back then it was. People honored the elders. The elders of the city would sit at the gates and people would come by as they spouted wise sayings or settled disputes. King Solomon is remembered not merely because he was David's son or or because he had great wealth, but because he had great wisdom. To be wise means to have foresight. It means to have intuition. A wise person can take a group of facts 
and discern just what should be done. A wise person is shrewd. A wise person can choose between right and wrong. So just to recap what we've gone over for the last few minutes. One, Jesus is aiming his comments at those who are not just passively listening, but to those who are hearing him at a deep level. Two, Jesus is speaking to people who want to go from just hearing with their ears, but putting into practice the things he's talking about. And three, Jesus says that the person who hears his words, puts them into practice, will be wise. When Jesus wanted to make sure that people really picked up on the meaning of what he was saying, he would illustrate the truth with a parable. A parable is a a wise saying that illustrates a deeper truth. And here Jesus talks about two homeowners. They both have one thing in common. They're getting ready to face a storm. I was sitting in Louisiana fried chicken yesterday, preparing to work on this sermon, when ironically the Weather Channel broadcast a television show called Storm Stories. It was a show that talks about the greatest storms in history. Yesterday's story was about Hurricane Ivan, the 10th most intense Atlantic hurricane ever recorded. Can you imagine what it would be like to have darkness cover your house? To look up at the sky and see a blanket of angry gray clouds, literally the size of Texas, descending upon your home. Well, my mind, as a preacher, went directly to this sermon. You invest in your dream home. Your house represents your dream. It represents the investment of a lifetime. It's by far the most expensive thing that you and the bank will ever own. Your house represents the place where you will raise your children, where you will romance your spouse, where you will entertain your friends. It is the inheritance that you will leave your children. Your house, if you are fortunate enough to own one, is your sanctuary, your shelter, perhaps the one thing that you can really count on, the one place in life where you feel absolute peace. And then there's a storm. A storm is an unpredictable thing. It strikes without warning. There's little defense against it, especially in the ancient world where they didn't have Doppler radar or the weather channel. You knew that eventually storms are going to strike the place where you live, but you never know the extent of the damage that they could cause. Jesus isn't talking about a literal storm here, though he is talking about a storm that can leave your life either standing strong or in devastation. Well, what's a storm? Sometime in the late 19th century, perhaps out in a field in the Mississippi Delta, Cotton pickers chanted variations of gospel hymns. This music became known as the blues. And the blues is invariably about the storms of life. In his song, How Blue Can You Get? B.B. King sang, You're evil when I'm with you. And you're jealous when we're apart. You're evil, how blue can you get, baby? The answer is right here in my heart. I gave you a brand new Ford. You said, I want a Cadillac. I bought you a $10 dinner. You said, thanks for the snack. I let you live in my penthouse. You said it was a a shack. I gave you seven children, and now you want to give them back. 
How blue can you get? B.B. King is in a storm, but a lot of us face storms as well. Somebody here is alarmed by the choices that your children are making in life. On the other end of that spectrum, it seems that you can't seem to ever get through to your parents. It's like you're two different people from two different planets speaking two different languages, and you're beyond frustrated. You are in a storm. There are storms that can tear your life apart. You could be a single sister who concurs with Mary J. Blige. Bad boys ain't no good. Good boys ain't no fun. Lord knows I should run off with the right one. Me and Mr. Wrong get along so good, even though he breaks my heart so bad, we got a special thing going on. Me and Mr. Wrong, you're in a storm. Your significant other has become verbally abusive. Their harsh words are tearing away at your self-esteem. You are in a storm. You are the victim of a deceptive subprime loan, and now your mortgage payments have quadrupled. You are in a storm. I know what it is to be in a storm. Almost two years ago, I was working as a case manager for young children at a high school on Treasure Island. I was sick one day and I got a phone call from a coworker. She said in hushed tones, Harry, there was a meeting today. Our grant was not renewed. They're shutting the whole school down. Immediately, I lay there in bed in shock. How would I pay the rent? How would I get medical care after my insurance ran out? How could I keep my phone bill paid? And then, Try as you might, resume after resume in the times that we live in, often no response. I'm talking about a storm. How will you come out of your storm? Well, Jesus talks about two types of home builders. First, there's the person who built his house or her house on a rock. Picture a rock big enough to serve as the foundation of a house. Well, the thing would have to be granite. It would have to be solid. It would be unshakable. It would be unmovable. The rain and and the winds would never be enough to wash that thing out to sea. That house is built to last. Where do you turn when your life seems like it's going to crumble apart? Is it to the psychic hotline or the word of God? When all hell is breaking loose around you, do you fast or do you fret? What does it mean to have your life built upon a rock? Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that cometh out of the mouth of God. In John 4, 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. How deeply are you in this thing called the Christian walk? Years ago, I met a gang member. He didn't have to tell me that he was a gang member. He wore gang identifiers. His shoelaces, his coat, his hat, even his phone were all the same color. Nobody who knew him had any doubt about what his life was built upon. One day he told me about a barbershop in the neighborhood that cut hair at very inexpensive prices. I went there, and to my shock, I realized that the barbershop was in enemy territory for my young friend. There were people in the barbershop wearing bandanas. 
of the opposite color that he represented. What struck me about the young man was that he would rather give up his life than change what identified him as a member of that gang. His life was built upon the negativity of a gang lifestyle. But that young man was more committed to the gang than most Christians are to the Christian faith. What is your life built upon? What occupies your thought life? What occupies your activities, your free time? Are you building your life upon a rock? Every time that you pick up the Bible and read a few passages, you're putting down another beam in the unshakable foundation of Jesus Christ. Every time you press your way out to the house of God, you're driving another nail into the house that's built upon a rock. Every time trouble breaks out and you quote a scripture rather than a cuss word, you're creating that house on a rock. In Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Jesus said, if, if you build your life upon his teachings, if you read his word, if you do the best to put his teachings into practice, if you make them a part of your everyday life, you will stand. You will come through your distress, this troubling time in your life, no matter what happens. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. It doesn't matter what the x-rays read. It doesn't matter what your job review said. It doesn't matter what your mother-in-law says. It doesn't matter how your kids seem to be behaving. It doesn't matter sometimes what your parents are saying to you if it's not in line with the word of God. If you build your life upon God's word, your life will be rooted in a strength that is not your own. It will be supported and buttressed by the promises of God. Jesus says in Luke 6, 47 to 49, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my word and puts them into practice, I will show you what they were like. They are like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was built upon a rock. The television on the wall of Louisiana fried chicken was turned down so low yesterday that I could not hear the play-by-play -play about the aftermath of Hurricane Ivan. I didn't have to hear the commentator. The images were so stark that Category 5 behemoth unleashed heavy winds that dropped raindrops like steel pellets. It spawned 119 tornadoes. When the wind stopped blowing, $1.85 billion worth of damage had been done to the Cayman Islands. On the TV show, a man took us through a walk through his devastated home. It looked like a giant fist had just smashed down on a dollhouse. Ceilings were cracked open. The floorboards had been ripped up. Windows had been blown out. What was left was barely suitable for firewood. The question is this, why would anybody build a house on a sand foundation? Most of natural disasters seem to happen on the seashore. The great tsunamis, the hurricanes, the cyclones, the tornadoes, they all seem to happen on coastal regions. Why would anybody build a house on the sand? Well, as someone who lived most of his life on the seashore, I can tell you why. I grew up about four blocks away from the ocean. Why would somebody build a house on the seashore? 
Because there's nothing like looking at the glimmer of the sun as it strikes the expanse of the water at daybreak. What can compare to the cool breezes that brush against your face at dusk? To what can you compare the twinkle of the stars on the satin canvas of night as the waves pound against the beach? People build their houses on the seashore because it's beautiful. But what looks good may not last. They are dazzled by what might be pretty, but in reality is not practical. If Jesus tells us that hearing and obeying his teachings is akin to building one's life on the rock, what would it mean to build one's life upon the sand? When I was a little boy, back when they really made good music, There was a soul group called the Stylistics. Does anybody remember the Stylistics? Two or three people. (laughs) The Stylistics had a song that said, you are everything and everything is you. Before the Stylistics, there might have been one or two of you who might remember the Four Tops. And the Four Tops scored a big hit with a song called Bernadette. And they sang, all men need someone to worship and adore. Tammy Terrell and the late Marvin Gaye once sang, you're all I need to get by. Romantic love is one of the most beautiful and empowering gifts that God ever gave to humanity. However, if you've made another flesh and blood human being your everything, if you've chosen to worship the object of your romantic affections, thinking of them night and day, picking up the phone to call them more than you get on your knees to speak to God? If you look into the brown eyes of your beloved and sing, you are all I need to get by, then you have built your house on the sand. What does it mean to build one's house on the sand? The Wu-Tang Clan once rapped, cash rules everything around me, cream, get the money, dollar dollar bill, y'all. Who knows who the Wu-Tang Clan is? Ah, most hands go up to that. In one of the funniest episodes of The Simpsons, Homer holds a conversation with C. Montgomery Burns, the richest man in town, in which he marvels about the ancient tycoon's great wealth. Mr. Burns smiles and taps the tips of his fingertips together and says, I traded all for just a little more. <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Goodfellas was one of the greatest gangster movies ever made. It is the story of Henry Hill, a a kid from Brooklyn. He says early in the movie, as far back as I can remember, I've wanted to be a gangster. As a teenager, Hill gets a job running errands for a mobster named Paulie. He climbs the ranks, hijacking trucks performing extortion, performing arson, selling stolen merchandise, and then one day the FBI pops him for flipping bricks. Translated, they arrest him for trafficking kilos of cocaine. Hill is no longer a kid now. He's a grown man with a family. The good times have rolled on and Henry Hill is now broke. True story. Caught with his hand in the cookie jar, he goes back to his hero, his idol, his mentor, Back in the old neighborhood, Paulie basically goes back looking for a handout. Now, he's made thousands, maybe millions of dollars for Paulie over the years. Paulie, whom he's loved 
like he was his own father, reaches into his jacket pocket and pulls out $3,000. And he said, here, kid, I give you this, and now I have to turn my back on you. Henry Hill later remarked, $3,000 for a lifetime. As Paulie walks away, Henry Hill realizes that everything he'd believed in, the loyalty, the bravado, the code of the streets, was all false. His life had been built upon sand. What is your life built upon? On April 10th, 1912, the Titanic set sail from England. Now, you can't understand the significance of the Titanic unless you understand the times. 1912 was the year that the Republic of China came into being. 1912 was the year that the South Pole was discovered. It was the year that the first paratrooper jumped out of an airplane and the first year that an airship was actually involved in war. The thought that a human being would ever fly to the moon or into outer space was sheer fantasy. The greatest technological marvel of that time was this magnificent ship. The Titanic was 882 feet long. It weighed 46,000 tons. It was a floating palace complete with libraries, a a gymnasium, and five-star restaurants. The great craft was the largest ocean-bearing vessel ever seen. It was dubbed the unsinkable. At the same time that the Titanic was created, 2,000 miles away on, on the coast of West Greenland, a glacier made of 10,000-year-old snow, reaches the ocean. A mass of ice weighing 2 million tons breaks free. It is one of just 40,000 icebergs born that year in the West Greenland area. Currents carry it on an unlikely two-year journey. The Titanic employed a, a lookout who stood on the deck. On April 15th, he looked out into the darkness and he saw that great iceberg that had floated down from Greenland. He hollered for the ship to turn left. His quick action stopped the Titanic from hitting that iceberg dead on. As it turned out, the Titanic merely scraped against the iceberg. It wasn't an explosion. It was not a boom. The contact seemed so minor that most people barely felt it. In fact, people who were sleeping did not even wake up. But great damage had been done. A series of giant steel plates at the bow of the ship had been compromised. Almost a century later, a study revealed that the Titanic's builders had cut corners during construction. Instead of using pure iron rivets, they used cheap, second-rate slag. When examined under an electron microscope 100 years later, they found flaws and defects in the two-inch rivets that held the plates together. And when the side of the great ship was tested by that iceberg, the rivets popped open, causing water to fill the inside of that great craft. That gigantic ship, considered unsinkable, was destroyed because somebody had decided to cut corners on some rivets about the size of your forefinger. When the great storms of life test your foundation, what will be found? What kind of building materials have you used to construct your life? When trouble comes, I mean real trouble, what will you do? 
What kind of foundation have you built your life upon? What's underneath you? What's inside? Is it a deep and abiding come hell or high water faith and trust and commitment to Jesus Christ? Or is it a rugged self-reliance that minimizes God's role in your life? When trouble strikes in your family person, do you say, come on, let's huddle down, let's kneel down at the altar, let's pray? Or do you look at each other and say, now what can we do? When all hell breaks loose in your life, who do you run to? Is your life built upon your prayer life? Is it built upon your study of God's word? The words of the grand old hymn say, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Another hymn that I grew up singing in church said, In times like this, you need a savior. In times like this, you need an anchor. Be very sure. Be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. That rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. That rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. And finally, there are those here who have gripped the solid rock. You have made your commitment to Jesus Christ. You have surrendered everything to Jesus Christ. Your life is built upon the teachings and the precepts of the Bible. You have given all. You are sold out. And yet, there is some seemingly unanswered prayer. Some unmet longing. There is some emptiness deep down in your belly that causes you to cry in the middle of the night. Like Bono of you 2 you sing, you broke the bonds and you loosed the chains. Carried the cross of my shame. You know I believed it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. If that's you this morning, keep your hope in Christ. Keep your hand in his hand. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Build your life upon the rock. Wait on the Lord. He will work it out. He will work it out. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. Build your life upon his rock. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, O oh God, that as we turn to you, as we build our lives upon your foundation, God, that you are our strength when trouble breaks out around us. Lord, people don't wait until it starts raining to build a house in the natural realm. God, help us to build a house that's built on the rock, so that when trouble comes, we will stand. Now, Lord, I pray for those here who heard the word today, and they realize that the house is not built upon that rock. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today, you might be here today, and you said, Preacher, you're talking to me. My life is not built upon the rock. My prayer life has suffered. My study life is not what it should be. The, the Christian walk is, does not define my life. 
But I'd like that to be true of myself. I'd like to build my house on the rock. If that's you and you're here today, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? Amen, amen, amen. I see hands all over the building. You might be here today and you're weary. Your life might be built upon the rock, but you feel as though it's hard to make another step. Your spiritual life has grown dry. If that's you and you're here today, would you raise your hand? Amen. You feel like your spiritual life has, has grown dry. It's not as vibrant as you'd like it to be. Amen. I see those hands. I see those hands. You might be building your life on the sand. You're preoccupied with things that have no eternal value. And you want Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Amen. Amen. I see those hands. Finally, you're here today and you need a miracle. You need a miracle. And and I'm not telling you something I read about in a book. I've been here. You need God to intervene in your life in a way that the person sitting next to you, even your best friend, might not know about. If that's you and you're here, would you raise your hand? Amen. 